Hi, this is Craig Tim. Thank you for tuning in. As you know, every time we get together, I'll be sharing one of God's messages on how we can better live the Christian life. Overcoming our doubts, our, 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 our trials, and all the things that we go through, but at the same time, He gives us encouragement. And he shows us how we can walk around the landmines of life out there. And today's message is no different. I'm going to start back just a couple years. We're just going to recap a couple years ago in 2020. uh, America happened to be experiencing one of its most challenging years in such a very long time, I feel. You know, we had the pandemic. We had those flaring racial tensions going about that just kept getting pushed and pushed more from, well, you know where they came from. I'm not going to say that, but it hasn't been that bad since really back the 1960s, I don't believe. And of course, our economy was floundering along. We just didn't know what was going to happen. And the murder rates were exploding across the country in so many different major cities. And of course, we had that special presidential election. And all these things going on at the same time just caused a whole lot of things to argue about between one another. It's a phenomenon, though, that I've heard called, and I believe it's a very good title for it, and it's called the cancel culture. And that is the title of today's message, cancel culture. It's a mindset that demands that if anyone says or does something that someone else might find offensive, that person must be silenced and destroyed. That's what the concept is about. As a result, though, people have lost their jobs, their careers, their reputations, and they've even had their lives threatened. There's such a a mob mentality out there that it attacks people. And it attacks them even for things that they did 20 or 30 years ago, before a lot of these people that are on the attack were even born. I, I, don't, I don't get it. But it's happened to politicians, candidates for the Supreme Court, actors, comedians, and all other type of media types, business people, even cartoon characters, and children's books. Dr. Seuss and the Muppets, for one. They've all faced being canceled because somebody felt like they were being offended. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people who should have been canceled years ago, but this cancel culture seems driven by a kind of mm, self-righteous hatred. And that's what's so scary about it. Now, during the timeline of all these things going on, there was a pastor from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and he got caught up in his own firestorm of troubles. In less than two weeks, the local government there in Birmingham cut all ties with this pastor and his church. Now, his church was growing, and they were very involved in the community. They were providing so many services that otherwise probably would not have been met by the city at all. He and his church had served the poor. They engaged the sick. They volunteered at so many schools. They served thousands of meals per week. They even made masks. They hosted blood drives, and they helped other churches in the community survive during the pandemic shutdowns. All of this they were involved in. And it all went away because he 
quote, liked some special media post from a popular conservative commentator that offended a local high school teacher. Oh, no. This teacher went after him with a Facebook grassroots attack because he was uncomfortable who the pastor had supported. He was offended. He didn't even know the pastor. But in essence, this pastor had been canceled. Now, I look at the word cancel as describing what we used to do to magazine or newspaper subscriptions, or, as we all know, happens to faltering TV programs. But unfortunately, this is now what happens to people. In our crazy society, canceling someone is a punishment for doing something, or saying something, or even thinking something that violates uh, a set of unwritten rules that are currently in play throughout most of the liberal world. What does it take for a person to be canceled? Let's, let's try that. Actually, no one really knows what it takes, at least not specifically. These rules are unwritten, and the whole cancel culture is vague, and it's just unclear. It's just somebody got a you know, thorn up their backside. But to me, it looks like a subjective action just based on biased opinions. We could all be canceling one another, actually, if you think about it. But though this desire to destroy others, it's as old as mankind. Look back. Cain tried to cancel, he canceled Abel. And Joseph's brothers, they attempted to cancel him. Jezebel, he, she tried to cancel Elijah. And it went on and on and on throughout the Bible history. However, no one has faced this cancel culture more than Jesus. It was the cancel culture that put him on the cross. A cancel culture that hated Jesus so much it killed him. And then when he was nailed to that cross, people were rejoicing because Jesus had finally been canceled. But unlike all the others who've been canceled by these cultures, Jesus wasn't a victim. The attempt to destroy him had been planned by God for centuries since the beginning of time. In fact, that was one of the major themes in the biblical preaching. Peter, Peter preached, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the de definite plan, the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's Acts 2, 22 and 23. And then Paul wrote, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. The cross had been planned. Jesus' death had been planned on purpose. And the cancel culture did exactly what God predetermined they would do. It was all part of God's design. If this new culture sounds unreasonable to you, or even unbiblical, you're correct, it is. When Jesus was asked to categorize the two most important commandments in the Bible, he replied with what we might call a two-for-one special. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's out of Matthew 22, 37 through 39. But if you notice here, Jesus spent a lot of times with people in his day who had been, quote, canceled. There's the woman at the well. There's the lepers, the sinners who were despised. And he blessed abandoned children. He touched the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf so they could see and they could hear. He cast out demons from the violent people. He even comforted a criminal on the cross next to him. Jesus had no place in his heart for this canceled culture. It would be nice to think this canceled culture is just a temporary phase our country's going through. Much like the different phases all children go through as they mature through their lives. However, America is not a child. It's, what, 250 years old now almost. Sadly, though, society is becoming more tolerant and polarized every day with this new culture theme. And I'm not sure if we will see any kind of reversal from these silly trends. Much of what I see today, it only reminds me of what Jesus describes in Matthew 24 from his message about the last days and the great tribulations. And in his message, Jesus warns us of a coming period of great distress. And he says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. Matthew 24, 21 and 22. Jesus spoke of wars and rumors of wars, famines, plagues, pandemics, and so much more. Saying these are the beginning of sorrows, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Leading to the end of history will be categorized, characterized, sorry, by coldness in our feelings for one another. It will also be marked by isolation and disconnection. Shame, uh, shame will drive people inward. Bullying will drive them downward and hatred will drive them backwards. Now, we all know about physical pain and emotional pain. Our society is now suffering for what many have called social pain. Actually, according to Healthline, they say, social pain involves painful emotions caused by situations involving other people, such as feeling rejected, alone, ostracized, devalued, abandoned, or plain disconnected. Now, forcing the people from their schools and places of work to live in isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic seasons just exasperated this problem. And if you think about it, the root cause of disconnection is spiritual nature. When we are disconnected from God, we don't have love, joy, or peace, patience, or kindness to show others. We just become isolated in our own self-centeredness. And during this time, Many false prophets will rise and deceive the people, causing lawlessness abound. We see all these realities at play right now in this cancel culture of our current day. Interesting, isn't it? All of that that's been predicted, we're seeing that right now in this new culture. And now that we have a little better understanding of what entails the cancel culture we're living in today, 
and all the dangers it poses, where, where do we go from here? What is it going to take to live in this kind of world now? An even bigger question is, what does it take to live for Christ in this culture? The short answer is, a lot. It's going to take a lot. This is a shared experience of every generation of Christians living in a hostile world since the very first one. So really, that would mean we have had over 2,000 years to prepare for these days we're going through today. But there is one thing we do know, and it's that the rewards of following Christ are all worth it. Yes, they are. So now... I'm going to just shift gears a little bit, and I want to take a quick moment and share some uh, characteristics that we can incorporate in our lives to claim all these rewards that God promises us. I want to start out, how about wisdom? True wisdom is the ability to discern what is right, good, just, and proper. That's a definition of wisdom. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, let your conversation be gracious as well as sensible, for then you will have the right answers for everyone. Knowing what to say and when to say and how to say it, now that is wisdom. That's what we all need. I would say that's what we all need, what we all should be striving for. How about courage? Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, we've all heard that many times. Be of good courage. And we need good courage to live a meaningful life for Jesus in a world influenced by this cancel culture that we're all experiencing. Courage it's a God-given personality trait. It's crucial in these critical times. And we see this quality in the lives of many Old Testament prophets who remain committed to God and his prophetic work, even in the midst of extreme criticism that they were going through. This is nothing new. Nothing new that has not already been experienced in the world before us. And then there's forgiveness. Let's look at that a second. The world's attitude towards our past mistakes is fair game for the present. Those who are canceled, they are treated as deserving of scorn, wrath, and plenty of judgment from society. But thankfully, the Bible offers us another way. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You know, the particular thing about forgiving someone who wrongs you is that we set them free. But you know what else? We also set ourselves free, too. And whenever you hold bitterness in your heart, 
It's kind of like poison that continually eats away at your joy and your happiness. But when we forgive, it's liberating for them and us both. Now, right now, I'm going to say something that's fairly provocative. You might not think it's even possible. But I will say it is not impossible. Oh, frankly, it, it will be possible. I would like to cancel culture itself. How about that? Wouldn't you? Just cancel culture itself. I'd like to cancel all the hatred and the divisions, the lawlessness, that smugness and the snobbery of the pundits and pencil pushers out there. I'd like to cancel the violence and the venom in the world. Maybe I can't do it, but there is one who will do all of that. His name is Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 13, 14 tells us, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. Now remember, the cancel culture of our day doesn't forget our sins. In fact, this is according to the New York Post, there are a few groups on Twitter who have made it their civic duty to scrutinize the actions of average people and public figures alike, shedding light on previously overlooked or unknown incidents. As we said earlier, 20, 30 years ago, 15 years ago, I, however long in the past people look it up and then they want to cancel you for it. I don't, uh, I, 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 I just don't get it. People have should have more things to do than to try to ruin other people's lives. Maybe we should flip the switch around and try to ruin their lives. Oh, no, no, that'd be revenge. We're not supposed to do that to our fellow man. Anyway, many ways the cancel culture is dependent on betrayal. Did you know that? Cancel culture is dependent on betrayal. We all have mistakes from our past, and most of them we'd like to forget, I think. I know I would. But in a world that's fueled by this new culture, these faults are not allowed to remain in the past. It doesn't matter how long ago or how obscure your past sins may have been. If people, these people don't like you, they'll find that sin, do everything in their power to embarrass you with it. They'll dig up skeletons from your past, your family's past that maybe you didn't even have anything to do with, but it's part of your family, and they want to embarrass you with it. And now people like that, there's no forgiveness on their part. There's no mercy. They're kind of like Satan in that way, I guess. Now, someone once noted that Satan knows your name but calls you by your sin. In other words, it doesn't matter how long ago you may have committed that sin. Satan will always be there to call out your name and remind you of how you failed. His objective is to cancel you and destroy your hopes and your dreams. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done to erase the past. Satan will always bring it back up again and again and again and again to tell even others about it. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. 
See, our sins come at a price. And the price was our death. Or the death of someone else who could take our place. And that is what Jesus came to do. To take our place. To pay the price. To die for our sins. And on that final day as Jesus hung from the cross on the hill of Calvary. After he had been, been beaten for days prior. I believe God wants us to reflect on just a couple of things that were taking place as he hung there. First one, we're told that the soldiers gambled for Jesus' tunic at the foot of the cross. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which said, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. John 19, verse 23 and 24. But I want you to notice it says, This was to fulfill the scripture. Okay, you say, Craig, but but why? Why had God even bothered to make this prophecy? Well, we're not told why, but... You know, I, I kind of have a pretty good idea, I think. You know, it, it's, it's an idea. It's a thought anyway. Despite what you may have seen in various paintings and movies, Jesus was actually totally naked on the cross. And when the Romans crucified people, they stripped them bare. Their intention was to cause as much suffering as possible, including embarrassing their victims by exposing them and robbing them of any form of modesty and decency. The second point here is Jesus didn't address Mary as his mother. Did you realize that? Jesus said, woman, behold your son. His entire ministry, Jesus never once, that I can ever find, referred to Mary as his mother. The only other time he addressed her was in John 2, where Mary asked him to help at the marriage feast. He replied, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. That's John 2, 4. Jesus' words to Mary, they're recorded here at the crucifixion that remind us of two things. First, Mary was the woman who gave birth to him in Bethlehem. So it was Jesus' responsibility as the oldest son to make sure she was taken care of. That was his job. But secondly, Jesus was very careful to avoid calling his mother because there was a danger of people making Mary into some kind of deity to be prayed to, and who might be seen as surpassing all other creatures, both in heaven and on earth. This was not intended to happen, but we know some religions have picked up on that over the years, over the centuries, actually. But this was never to be intended. That's why it was always woman because he did not want her to be considered a deity, because she's not. And the next phase Jesus cried out from the cross was, I thirst. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and again, to fulfill prophecy, or to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a branch and held it up to his mouth. That's John 19, 28 and 29. Was Jesus thirsty? 
No, yeah, of course he was. His thirst was real. It was one of the torments of being nailed to the cross. And it was prophesied because God wanted us to know his sufferings were real, just like what you and I might go through. And at the last, all the suffering, all the pain, it was summed up in one phrase. And what did he say? It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John 19, 30. It is finished? Well, what did that mean? Well, it meant that his task was completed on earth. Everything he'd come to do, it was finished. And when Jesus did all that for us, it was finished. And you and I were forgiven right then. But once you're forgiven, things change. So while it's, yeah, true, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin, right? Once you're forgiven, God knows your sin, but he only calls you by your name. In other words, once you're forgiven, God doesn't know you by your sins. He knows you by your name. God forgives, and he forgets those past sins of ours. The price for our sins was paid in full that day. All we have to do to accept his free gift is to believe he is the Christ, the Son of God who came to die for our sins. Acknowledge, repent, turn away from our sins. And confess Jesus is now going to be our Lord and Master. Accept his total ownership of ourselves and all that we have. And we decide to live for him. That's all we do. And our lives will be changed forever. I want to close here with this, uh, this little short story. She was crazy in the eyes of the community. Everyone knew it because she had the habit of talking to herself in public and it was known that she believed she even talked to Jesus. And, and, he, was, and, and he spoke back to her. Now, a new preacher had come to town to take over the local church and hearing of this crazy woman thought it, nah, he might be able to make her face some reality. So one day, as he saw her walking down the street, he spoke to her and eventually introduced himself and he got around to asking, I, I hear you talk to Jesus. Oh, yes, she replied. Jesus and I talked for hours and hours. Well, he says, uh, would you do me a, a favor? Could you ask him something for me? Oh, yes, why, of course, this old woman responded. Would you ask Jesus what the last sin was that I confessed to him? Well, why, certainly, she replied. Well, the next day, the preacher saw this crazy woman cross the street, walking the other way. And so he, he crossed over to, to meet her and he approached and he says, uh, well, did you talk to Jesus last night about me? Well, why, I surely did, she said. Well, what did he say was the last sin that I confessed to him? He just kind of, you know, coyly asked. He wanted to set things straight. And she replies, she says, why, he said that he didn't remember it at all anymore. See, Jesus doesn't remember because when we commit our lives to him, he cancels all our sins. He forgets about them. He welcomes us into his family. And instead of disdain and deception and disconnection, he gives us love and truth. He fills us with wisdom, courage, and compassion. He commissions us to counter 
the cancel culture with the power of the cross, which will never be canceled in all of eternity. And we can rest each day knowing with all our hearts that nothing can ever, ever cancel the one who cancels our sins. Lord, we thank you for this message today. We thank you that we are not canceled. You have canceled all of our sins for us. You have done the ultimate sacrifice to allow us to live for you. And we want to pray for coverage and peace and strength and to step out and be bold for you, knowing that you're taking care of us. And we can cancel this cancel culture stuff that's going on out there, Lord, and you will never be canceled. Because you are the one and the one and only. Thank you for your messages each time we get together. Bless all the people that turn on to listen and to love on them and to reassure them that they are loved. In Jesus' name, amen.